0: That's who, a layup with artist and song. As Kevin Bowen joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Root Potline, can you name it?
2: I, I I feel like I heard this earlier today. Did I not?
0: You don't remember? Is Literally, it, it just uh, it Bal- happened on your show this morning.
2: <laughs> Is it Baltimore?
0: Yes. Tarzan Boy, Baltimore, it is a classic 80s one-hit wonder. And it's every bit the one. Some of these one-hit wonders aren't actually one-hit wonders. This is absolutely a one-hit wonder. Baltimore, I just wanted to give you a layup.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I feel good about that. I I, I certainly need it. When Jake asked me this morning, um, I knew I had heard it, but I had no idea. Baltimore. Or anything like that.
0: Baltimore is an Italian Group one hit one D group from the 1980s, Italian with Tarzan really? Boy. Hey, speaking of Italy, by the way, do you or Maddie ever watch like any of these shows on HBO?
2: Uh, I mean, define the shows. So, I mean, we certainly well, it wasn't the Carmen show, Carmen Electra show that you wanted us to watch, was
1: not on HBO,
0: was she naked? <laughs> I'm not sure kev are you there
2: you sorry about that <laughs> i was gonna connect- good time to the to the phone or uh, to my uh, bluetooth
0: Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were searching to get off speakerphone and onto the uh, handheld device. With that, no, no, no. The reason why I asked because Baltimore, as I mentioned, is an Italian group from the 1980s. So I have people all up my rear end about you got to watch something new. All you ever do is watch stuff you've seen over and over again. Andy Griffith Show, Seinfeld, Roadhouse, Fast Times, Die Hard. Watch something new. So I've started watching a show on HBO called White, Lo- the White Lotus. Have you guys ever watched any a new show? I guess it's in year two. It's not new, I guess, but it's in season two. The White Lotus.
2: I, I feel like she has maybe watched it. I I have not though. What does do? Well, I is to, just, well it's this, just it's based this
0: like Roadhouse. No, no, no. It is incredibly. I don't even know how to explain it. It's weird, but it's at least as of right now in this season two, it's based on a bunch of extraordinarily rich people spending time in Sicily during the summer, like extended vacations in Sicily. And there's a lot of weirdness that's going on in this. And I'm just kind of curious if Maddie, because I know that she watches, you know, some HBO shows like that may be into the White Lotus. Because I, I I had folks get me into a couple of different HBO things, and this is the Latest, the White Lotus.
2: Okay, so she just—I told this to Kyle before I came on. Max under the weather, so I'm gonna try and drive around with him to keep him quiet and keep him asleep. And Maddie just brought Max out to me, and I just asked her. She said she likes White Lotus a lot, but we're in search of an uh, HBO login. If anyone wants to send a, uh, send us their HBO login, just go ahead and uh, go ahead and tweet that at me. All
0: right. Well, ask her. Does she watch Euphoria on HBO too?
2: Oh, she's
0: she's already back inside. Okay. and like I have the two new things I've watched. I watched last season of Euphoria, and I kind of wish I didn't because it's about young people and it's just ridiculous. That thing plays on your mind. As a parent, a growing parent, you probably don't want to watch that. But I have watched that, and I started watching White Lotus. Like Michael Improli, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, Improli. Um, he played Christopher in The Sopranos. He's a star of this, the White Lotus show.
2: Yeah, I almost texted you over the weekend, um, hanging out with my in-laws for Thanksgiving, and Roadhouse came up at the dinner table. Oh, did it? I explained to them how you called it, I guess I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, what, the the greatest male flick of all time? Yes,
0: it has everything that a man desires upon setting out to watch a film. If you're going to spend 90 minutes of your life watching a film, and if you're a dude if you're a dude like me, a dude like you, a dude like Kyle, it has everything a dude would want. It's a dude film, top to bottom,
2: 100%. Yeah, my, uh, my father-in-law and his brother both agreed
0: with that. Yeah, so. yeah you got no there, fighting, sure. driving, shooting, cussing, nudity, he and she You got everything. <laughs> <laughs> laying, laying, laying on you a roof it. of a barn loft, naked, smoking cigarettes. If you wanted it in a dude, you got it right there.
2: Yeah, you do. Patrick Swayze, unbelievable.
0: Oh, the late, great Patrick Swayze. And a shout-out to Sam Elliott, who's right there, too, and Sam Elliott. He is still with us. Shout-out to Wade Garrett. Kevin Bowen of The Morning Show is with us. You learn anything interesting, and I'm glad you brought this up because Zach Kiefer and I were talking about this yesterday. I you're a point in the season right now where we have basically seen everything and it's basically just going downhill. It's going to go nowhere where everybody told us or expected it to go. So why not Nick Foles? Why not somebody that has an arm still and somebody that has an arm with experience? Why is he still basically locked and loaded at the three hole?
2: Yeah, I don't know. To be honest with you, the question I actually asked Jeff Saturday um, earlier today and, You know, if you're just Saturday, you want to win now. I mean, you you don't care about a draft pick. This is your interim resume. Uh, You don't want to see Sam Ellinger. Um, I guess you can make an argument right now if the offensive line continues to have issues. You could certainly make an argument that a mobile quarterback can help you out. Um, I I don't think the O-line was, like, the biggest issue the other night, though. Uh, But I thought Matt Ryan looked old. I thought his arm looked shot. Um, I think the shoulder injury has got to be hindering him because I just don't remember it. To this level uh, earlier in the year. I mean, it just, when he throws, you know, any sort of ball, whether it's a little bit down the field or outside the numbers, I mean, it's a, you know, 78 mile per hour changeup that you're just praying gets to the pass catcher in time. And I think you go back and you watch the start of that game, how many balls Pittsburgh challenged from Matt Ryan. I mean, hell, you didn't have a completion until the midway point of the second quarter. So that tells you everything you need to know versus Kenny Pickett. You know, there's more separation, and the ball just has more velocity behind it. And it's not like Kenny Pickett has some the howitzer of an arm. Um, So, if if your thought process is when now, you want a veteran quarterback. I I would look at Nick Foles again. I don't necessarily think that's what their process should be at this point of the season. Um, But financially, I mean, considering if Matt Ryan gets hurt, you know, that's a huge, huge cap hit that could be coming your way in 2023. That would weigh. Um, on my mind as well so I'm with you but as of now it seems like it will continue to be Matt Ryan Sam Ellinger and then Nick Foles as the third stringer we'll see if you know if they get beat and beat soundly Sunday night and that potentially eliminates them and they return from their bye week and it's kind of a whole new four game season maybe they'll do something different then but I'll believe it when I see it.
0: So Kevin Bowen on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, can they sidestep massive Sunday night embarrassment this week?
2: I think, it's, I think it might be the hardest game all year um, when you factor in a couple of things. I think Dallas is arguably the most complete team you've seen. Um, it's on the road. They've had 10 days off. You have six days off. Now, the Colts have typically, Kansas City and Philly, granted those are both at home, they've played, you know, well against easily the two best teams on their schedule. Um, and I know Dallas, I, I saw their injury report. It looks like they had a couple of guys missed due to illness. It was Michael Gallup and Trayvon Diggs. So, you know, that seems to be kind of par for the course at the NFL right now. Um, so I think that's something to keep an eye on if there is some sort of sickness or, you know, bug going through there just to watch the rest of the week. But if they're healthy, which they seem to be, outside of that, um, I think I, I have something in my head around thirty-one seventeen for Sunday night. Uh, you know, the the spreads I think risen to double digits, and I see little reason to take the Colts in the points.
0: Do you think that? In, and this is not in a good way, but I'm guessing if that pass rush is as severe as I expect it to be, we may end up seeing Sam Ellinger on Sunday night.
2: Yeah, John. It was something that, ironically enough, you know, when I was with you know family over Thanksgiving and hey, you know, what are your thoughts on the Colts coming up? And yeah, I said to them, I and I don't, I, you know, I hate saying this, but I think it's reality. I, I said I expect Matt Ryan to be hurt after one of these next two games. Um, I just thought Pittsburgh's D line had the potential to do that to him, and I think Dallas's D line has even more potential to do that because again, it's on the road. Their, their offense is better, so theoretically, you're going to get behind in the game, although you got behind against Pittsburgh. Uh, but they're just a better football team, and I mean, they've done that to opposing teams this year. There, there's no better stack unit in the NFL, whereas TJ Watt is opposite Braden Smith, and, that, and that's a pretty good matchup. And Braden Smith was, I thought, really good on Monday night. Michael Parsons is going to rush Bernard Ryman a whole lot more, and they're just deeper as a pass rushing group. Uh, it was a question I threw to Jeff Saturday today, and he was he was like, they are. They're scarier, I think, from a pass rush standpoint than Pittsburgh, which is saying something because Pittsburgh's got a lot of guys up front. You saw them dial it up. So uh, that would be of big, big concern. And, and, again, I throw in the financial aspect of I think it's $17 million combined that Matt Ryan's due uh, of an injury bonus if he were, you know, to not be able to pass his physical uh, for that 2023 season. And, you know, I get that, you know, how – the, the owner and the GM and the head coach view things right now, they might be very different in their philosophies with that. I, I just, boy, I feel like that's something that would weigh on me if I were thinking, you know, a little bit looking towards
0: 2023. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Uh, you think Jeff Saturday seems overwhelmed? Um. Oh, or or oh, no, you know no, what, no. let me let me finish off the question and I'll give you a little bit better angle on it. Or is he a good enough communicator? Good enough in front of people with Q and A where he doesn't look as much as for example he did at the end of the game on Monday night?
2: Yeah, I would say body language wise, and again that's a sound like I'm some psychiatrist or something here but most of those people
0: are full of crap too that think they oh yeah body language and I you know all that stuff is crap you know that crap
2: you know after the Eagles game I felt like on that Monday zoom he looked like a coach that had just lost the game it was the first time I had seen kind of that that glow if you will um from the honeymoon period not be there um yeah he's a smooth operator without question and in front of the camera and all that and Uh, He certainly gives off a guy that still exudes a lot of confidence, but uh, to your overwhelm, you know, word, I, I think that's probably a good word just because I don't think you truly realize until you get in that seat, how much responsibility is on your plate outside of, you know, an hour and a half on the practice field every day. I think so many people think it's just that, but there's a whole lot more from scheduling and meetings and, you know, players on both sides of the ball, special teams unit, practice squad. Obviously, you got to pay a whole lot of attention to health, and uh, there's just so many things that you have to deal with that it can be taxing and uh, can be a bit much. I am curious, this if you look at the eight game, you know, Jeff Saturday experiment here. This will be game four, and then he'll have a bye week. You know, does that kind of recharge his batteries at all? Does that? You know, this eight-game grind is not as much of a grind as it is for, you know, going either eight straight games through it or, um, you know, having a grind of an off-season where, you know, it could be a, a bit boring kind of waiting for the games to get here. I mean, Jeff Saturday walked into an awkward and bad situation, but at the same time he also walked into immediate games, not, you know, major off-season decisions that this franchise is going to face come to january uh, So I – it's a great question. Um, again, he's a guy that strikes me as someone that wants to be involved, and he's a competitor and wants to do this. At the same time, this is really foreign to him, and that you know, and he had to have known this coming in. But he's coaching a football team that, for the first time all year, today the vibe in the locker room was, "We're going to find out, you know, how motivated guys are." And when you start to hear
0: those, comments that's not good coaches, at all. That's not good.
2: Yeah, that's when you know reality is set in yep. internally. Because usually they're the last ones to go there. You know, they're the ones that cling on to the playoff hopes, and we can run the table and all this. Today, for the first time, whether it's Matt Ryan or other guys, and even Jeff, I think went there a little bit. Um, that they have, they see the standings, they realize it, they know the schedule upcoming, uh, they fully understand that a lot of people uh, outside of the building want to see this team lose to move up for draft position.
0: It's Kevin Bone with us when he was hired and a couple of days after you and I had a conversation and I think we both agreed on this Uh, In some form or fashion, he was going to have his fingerprints on this organization regardless of how the season ended, and that was before they played in Vegas. They won. Everybody was excited about it. Since then, not so much. Do you still believe that that in some form or fashion, whether it's coach or player personnel decision-making, something, he's going to have his fingerprints on it? Or maybe has the past couple of weeks changed your tune on that at all?
2: Yeah, again, it's a, it's a good question. Um, my gut still says if he wants to do something, Jim Irsay will find something for him. Now, again, that sounds like, you know, Jeff Saturday's the next-door neighbor to Jim Irsay. And, oh, yeah, you know, Billy can come be a summer intern for the Colts. Um, you're obviously talking about, you know, hugely important positions within the franchise. But I, I, I do think the further you get away from this, And the further you get away from the honeymoon period, there is the element of, uh, do you just need to blow the whole thing up? And it was just more of a consultant type of thing. And, you know, something we were talking about today in the media room, you know, Jeff Saturday I think will be pretty appealing in the world he just came from after this experience. I would think that ESPN would happily bring him back to get his experience about this. And now he has a different type of perspective than he had just as the ex-player in Peyton Manning Center. and and, and all those things that he, that he used to have. So um, my gut still thinks if he wants to do something prominently, he would do that. Um, You know, I'm trying to remember, and I I probably should have talked to you about this. Do you recall? For some reason, like 2012 season is popping in my head, but somewhere around that time, wasn't Saturday brought in in some sort of front office consulting role. And it lasted like maybe a month. And he just said, yeah, this is not for me. And, he decided to, whatever, go back to Georgia. Do,
0: do you recall that at all? I, I don't, I, I, I recall where maybe there was advice, and I, I guess what you call it, those that do it in, in the business, the career in which we have chosen would be consultants, and you know how full of crap I think they are. Um, but right. A, and, and I in, in, in a actually in-building. Cons- oh, see, I don't remember the in-the-building stuff, in a consulting role, I do, but. I mean, I don't, he wasn't doing anything at the time, so that may have been accurate. I I guess I don't remember the in the building part, but in a consultation role, I had thought that that had happened even prior to, you know, what they described in that opening press conference as he was a part of here before he took over as the interim head coach.
2: Yeah, and I know the timing of it would be weird because. You know, he played that – maybe he was still playing in Green Bay, now to think about it in 2012. It would have had to have been pretty early in that Grigson tenure, 2013, somewhere around then. And, again, I don't think it lasted very long at all. But, you know, I just think, you know, I hear from people, well, you know, Saturday's not going to be the head coach. He'll just become the GM. I mean, that is is a totally different job than being the head coach. I mean, Jeff Saturday loves to coach because he loves being in front of players and he loves – being out there on the practice field. Like, that is what gets him going from a professional standpoint right now. You're a GM. I mean, you're, you're holed up in a bunker for large, large chunks of the day. And you're you know, scouting kids, college kids all across, and having to keep an eye on the entire NFL. It's not the same sort of joy and return that, you know, you get from, from coaching. So, I, I'll be very curious if and when that time comes exactly what Jeff wants and what Jim Irsay would be willing
0: to give him. Yeah, that's uh, going to be interesting. I know we're going to have a later date, and I'm sure talking about, you know, what they're going to do in the offseason, but I can't help but thinking. I laid this out yesterday, I'm not Mr. Blow It Up guy because I'm too old and I want to see things turned around and turned around for the positive and competitively speaking as quickly as possible. But at the same time, when you're going in a direction after the season and you've had six years of this, even with the Andrew Luck saga, all that this has entailed, and I don't want to be just that, you know, guy shaking his fist and I'm going to fire everybody because I'm trying to stir it up. I'm not. In this case, though, if you're going to move forward with what clearly hasn't worked with Chris Ballard, I don't know unless you just don't feel you have another option at that present time, how you have Chris Ballard try to rebuild this thing back up again? Because I think it's more than just a reload or a resculpt. I think that there's going to be a lot of rebuilding going on because those foundational pieces and those beliefs that Chris put into motion years ago to where we are right now have simply failed.
2: Yeah, you know, I've always felt this about the NFL. I, I think the head coach and GM should be tied at the hip. And um if you look at when Jim Irsay extended them both last August, you know, and got them on the same timeline, to me, that's you saying that they are now tied to the hip because now it just becomes awkward moving forward. Okay. Let's say that you retain Ballard. Um, is Ballard now in the same timeline as the new head coach? So does that mean Ballard has five more years at this? You know, what if you do swing and miss on a quarterback two or three years into the next era is Ballard gone? But then the coach stays, and now you're hiring a GM that didn't hire that coach, and that's the awkward nature of Chuck Pagano's final season here in Indianapolis. Uh, So that's where it just gets really, really complicated, and that's why I think when you make these hires, right, right or wrong, because you know I I fully understand it's you know the personnel decisions, the head coach moves are not this you know end all or are not exactly the same. They are operating a little bit differently. But I just think when you make a commitment like that as a franchise, you're committing to an era. And when you decide that one part of that era isn't working, unfortunately, I think you've got to, you know, can both. Um, So that's probably the route that I would take with that. And then the Jeff Saturday dynamic continues to offer just a whole lot of awkwardness of, you know, if Saturday is around, you know, who has Ursay's voice the most. Why, and uh, and you wonder with Chris really in
0: mind, shit. too, with all that has happened in the past month, you know, where his head might be, you know, about the future in, in the first place, too. I mean, we haven't even thought about that portion of it that much. But, uh, I, you know, obviously he's not uh, happy or he certainly didn't want to where they're going right now uh, to happen in this way. He was in disagreement with the owner, and it still kind of makes you wonder the direction in which it goes. Kevin Bowen is with us. All right, IU Carolina later on tonight in that matchup, the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I'll give me, I'll give you mine, you give me yours. I know that sounds kind of like an old-school porno title right there, but no, this is a good question I'm going to ask you. Um, I, I think the most important player this season on this IU team is Xavier Johnson. How about you?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I mean, certainly if you get the Xavier Johnson from whatever, Valentine's Day on from last yes, year. Yes, if he can keep
0: it between the lines, I think it's essential for them to be the best they can be for him to be able to do that.
2: Right, yeah, keep it between the lines. That's not, a, it's not
0: he, a driving answer, by the way, either. Not a driving that. reference, keeping yeah. it between the lines. But seriously, if he can do that, I think they're going to be at the best they can be. How about you?
2: Yeah, they're going to be a late-March team if if he is playing like the all-conference guy he was late last season. Uh, you know, I'd say a couple of kind of X factors off that. You know, I, if they can find a consistent shooter kind of in that fringe starter off the bench role. I mean, Tamar Bates is a guy that I, I feel like at times I forget how highly highly recruited he was and, um, you know, went through a whole lot off the floor, if I'm not mistaken, became a father last year. I mean, that's kind of a ton as a, as a freshman in college to be going through all of that. You know, if he can become a consistent shooter for you, um, especially with how Jalen Huchafina shot it early on, hasn't shot it great, uh, that would be something that I think would be uh, extremely helpful. But, yeah, I, I think you, you know what Trace Jackson Davis is going to give you, and that's one of the best players in college basketball, a walking double-double. You've got no worry about him. I mean, he hasn't shown one ounce of even trying any NBA stuff. And, again, he still has been one of the five best players in college basketball to start this season. Um, so yes, if, if Xavier Johnson is an all, if he is an All Big Ten point guard this season, there's no reason why Indiana shouldn't be one of the final teams in in the entire tournament. Yeah, I
0: was talking to Brian Evans a little bit earlier, and he uh, said the same thing about Trace not you know facing up and shooting jumpers. And and we, we came to the conclusion and this is true. Uh, he's getting where he wants to go and where he's best. Offensively, whatever he wants on the floor right now. Maybe that changes when the talent is better against him. But right now, you're getting where you want. So why change that? But you know, I've have heard, and you know, maybe people wouldn't, you know, would not uh, suggest this is accurate. I've heard that there's been some kind of back and forth because you know he he kind of does want to do some face up stuff, and maybe the coaching staff saying, hey, you know, just go with what you do at your best right now, and you know, maybe a, at a point in time that wasn't a, a, a it wasn't a consistent philosophy, I guess, on both sides.
2: Yeah, and that's interesting because Mike Woodson, at least publicly, acts like he's totally okay with Trace, right. you know, doing any of that face up, you know, stretch the floor, et cetera. And I don't think Mike Wood Mike Woodson does not strike me as a guy that would just say that just to appease, you know, future recruits. I think he's a pretty blunt individual when it comes to that stuff. And I'll give Trace a lot of credit, and I know you know him, you know, much more than I. I mean, I think for a lot of guys that flirt with the NBA waters have a very clear description from the NBA and what they need to change about their game for him to not feel, and I don't know, maybe he is feeling it, but for him to not necessarily uh, go down that path because I do think IU becomes uh, more of a riskier team and not necessarily in a positive way if he decides to stretch the floor. If Trace doesn't shoot outside of eight feet all year long, uh, that's not going to impact Indiana and how good of a basketball team they can be. Because again, he is a 20 and 10 guy. If he just continues to do what he's done and that's play around, you know, five feet uh, from the rim and end. So I think a lot of credit to trace for not feeling that urge to try and show that. Cause I think a lot of college basketball teams feel that when guys do test the waters and, you know, go to, I guess, I think he had COVID. So I don't know if he actually went to the, um, to the combine and everything, but he certainly got a lot of feedback. Uh, I think I can derail a lot of teams. And for him not to have done that, um, kudos to him.
0: You know, it's going to be interesting, and Kevin Bowen joins us, before I let you go, with the start that Purdue's off to, and to me the most oppressive team in college basketball, would be Matt Painter's Purdue Boilermakers. And to keep them this consistent and not peak early, that is certainly going to be a big job. Uh, with the expectations now on their shoulders with matt painter but i think even a larger job is now you've got basically 10 dudes on this team that get playing time then they're all getting love they're all getting love this guy's great and that guy's great it's inevitable where you start thinking and people start telling you in your inner circle you deserve more clock you need more clock and if if matt can battle that and coach that and keep this group as deep as they are happy, that will almost be more impressive than keeping this team playing at the level on which it has so far throughout the season and then certainly peaking at the end.
2: Yeah, I think the good thing on that front, though, is like when you look at their scoring, I, I would guess Fletcher Lawyer is their second leading score at the end of the year, but you could probably talk me into some other guys as well. Like I, I, From a shot distribution standpoint, outside of Edie and then probably lawyer i mean you could probably make a case for braden smith and you know brandon newman has a couple hot nights off the bench maybe he becomes more of that guy can mason gillis average 10 or 12 or caleb first offer you know average 10 or 12 so i i I think there's a little bit more of an unpredictability of exactly who's going to score outside of Edie, and i think a little bit of lawyer so that should help but yeah i mean purdue is definitely a team that with the jenkins transfer you know, Trey Kaufman Wren, I mean, yeah, they are a guy that, you know, the, the, their team has certainly shown that they can play nine or ten deep. But at the same time, you know, I, I do think there's an element of Purdue's a little bit of an outlier in college basketball in that with how Matt Painter puts the puzzle together, he's very clear with guys and this is the plan. I mean, how many five star freshmen in Trey Kaufman Wren do you see redshirt in their freshman year? I think that they have guys that are a little bit more accepting of roles that um, you know might not be exactly what they thought they would be or they grow into those roles. And I don't think anything is, like, cemented. You know, again, I don't think anybody on that team screams to me, like, that guy has got to play 36 minutes a night and no questions asked. Whereas, as me, as a Notre Dame basketball fan, Mike Bray plays, like, seven scholarship guys. And so all these guys get a ton of minutes, um, So I I think that is a little bit of an advantage that Purdue does have is Matt does an unbelievable job in just building a really nice puzzle, but also from an ego standpoint, sure, you're going to have some guys that, you know, are going to be a little bit miffed. But, I mean, how many people have we really seen transfer out of the Purdue program over the last couple of years? Not many.
0: I just think this landscape is so drastically different, though. This is going to be even more of a trick. do this right so and I agree with you some of these guys like you know a guy like Brian Waddell for example he's going to get time he's going to get minutes and he's probably going to accept what he gets and not you know but there's other guys that you start hearing especially when now all of a sudden you're thrust into the spotlight and everybody's talking about you it just kind of changes that dynamic a little bit that's all that you have to really balance when you have played your way in you know to the spotlight of college basketball this early in the season as they have.
2: Yeah, it's certainly a good problem to have. but um, right. as you know, I said earlier this week, and I'm sure you did as well, John. It seems foolish to think about March in late November, but what Purdue did out in Portland is they boosted themselves up at least one seed line, maybe even two, come March. And, and that's if they go if they go 500 in the Big Ten. And what they did in Portland assuming Gonzaga and Duke and West Virginia, but Gonzaga and Duke especially don't fall off a cliff, Purdue's going to go from an eight seed to a six seed. And, again, I think we all expect them to be better in the Big Ten. You know, that could boost them from what would look like a normal kind of four-seed resume to a two-seed resume. And I'm a firm believer in this. And maybe some of the Colts, Peyton Manning era has me with this line of thinking. But I am not this believer that Matt Painter can't coach in march this and that all of, you know – that sort of narrative i am a believer in the ncaa tournament is a bit of a crapshoot. you look at butler's two runs to the national title game butler easily could have lost the first two rounds or the, the the opening game in each of those two years you continue to create chances and opportunities for yourself in the tournament and that's exactly what painters done at purdue and giving them a top five seed seemingly on an annual basis if you do that sooner or later the bracket will fall your way you're going to play, you know, great basketball. You're going to go on a run. You're going to, you know, have things, you know, luck be on your side, and you're going to make a Final Four. So I, I think that is what this team looks like, another one of those to me. And it's really impressive to lose a top-five pick, an All-American, and who who is a key piece, and here we are. And as you said, no team in college basketball has been more impressive than them here through the first couple of weeks.
0: I'm not going to get tonight, am I? Uh, Sabonis is not going to Zubots me tonight, right? And my Twitter account. Please don't Boy, say that, that was, it's going to happen. No, I don't want to hear any negativity. Come on. I'm on.
2: That was... Uh that was good for you that the old zoo was a four o'clock tip on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. So I think, a, I think a lot of people just kind of let that one slide a little bit there. Uh, well, because they uh, all,
0: so, they all look terrible for one. I mean, they, they, it looked like they just basically got off the plane and, and went and played. That's how they looked. Yeah. So but that
2: was, God, that was so fun to watch the other night. And just, yeah, it's one of those, this is why we love sports moments, you know, and, yeah. to see what Andrew Nemhard's doing in roles that I didn't think he'd be asked to do this early in the season. And, you know, the Kevin Pritchard emotion after that. Uh, it's been fun to watch. And with how much of a clunker and a stinker this cold season's been, what Indiana and Purdue have shown already and what the Pacers have shown, uh, really, really important, I think, for – uh, fan bases around here to, to offer some I of thought that.
0: it would take so a little while for Nimhart and I watched basically every game that he played in in Spokane and I thought it would take him a little while with his, you know, consistent NBA level guard talent but man he has fit right in competed and then when you look at his old team in Gonzaga there's nobody that they miss and I'm talking about Chet as well nobody they miss more on that team right now than Andrew Nimhart and with the start they're off to
2: Yeah, and, you know, when you heard Mark Few and Tommy Lloyd talk about him, I mean, he meant a ton. to them. But, again, the roles he was asked to do with Jalen Suggs, it's not like he was kind of the primary guy on the ball and what he's done here, whether it's defending Tyler Hero late in the game to win that one. And, And, you know, for those that didn't watch the close on Monday night, you know, he hit several big shots late in that game. That was just not, you know, he happened to be the guy and that was his only bucket of the fourth quarter, and he's done that a couple of times this season. I, I think back to the preseason. They finished the game earlier in the year. I think him and Mather made some big shots in the fourth quarter, and they're kind of like, whoa, that'll be kind of interesting to see if that carries over to the regular season, uh, because me watching them hard at Gonzaga, I did not think he would have this quick of an impact. But you look at that trade with Cleveland, and the first-round pick could still be coming. You know, the second-round pick you got in that trade uh, was, was – the Andrew Demhard pick. So, I mean, that trade already looks like a pretty good success. And you're not even talking about the first round pick that's likely coming here in 2023.
0: All right, Kev, tell Maddie to watch the latest episode of the White Lotus. It's got a kicker at the end. Just tell her. All right, find a okay. password, too. Find the password.
2: Yeah. It's Bowen 1070 on Twitter. I don't think I've ever sounded more <laughs> pathetic in my life uh, pleading for that, but um, that was via Maddie there. To watch White Lotus should be very grateful.
0: Yes, do it. Check it out, and then report back next Wednesday. we <laughs> right. will do that. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. See ya. It's, uh, Kevin Bowen, 107.5, thefan.com, and The Morning Show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Danny Cannell, also of SiriusXM, Channel 84. CBS Sports and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. That was just the re-entry with Jeff Brom playing QB in his XFL days right there. What do you think about Jeff Brom and his Boilermakers going in as a heavy, heavy underdog coming up on Saturday night against Michigan?
3: John, I love it. I love the matchup. I love Jeff Brom playing the role of Spoilermaker yet again. Do you realize he's undefeated against top five opponents, 3-0 O. Oh. Although, I mean, I make I sound like I'm making a case, right? For Purdue, <laughs> like take the points. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried about this matchup, this uh, that we're going to see here uh, this weekend. The Big Ten East, you know, with all the powerhouses—Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State—they have dominated the West in Big Ten Conference championship games over the past eight years. They're eight and zero with an average margin of victory of twenty points per game. Um, but I do kind of like Purdue um, to maybe put up some points on the board to at least get Michigan a little bit nervous. I think Michigan will win the game in the, in the, in the end. I mean, Look what they did last year uh, against Iowa. I think they'll win. But I think Purdue could keep it within two touchdowns. They played this role of spoiler, and I said that kind of jokingly, but they do seem to revel in this circumstance. And Jeff Brom will draw up some plays in the sand that will create some offense so I think they'll be able to put up some points against Michigan's vaunted defense. I don't think it's enough to win, but I do think it's enough to cover. So I actually like Purdue
0: with the point. Uh, Danny Cannell joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did, speaking of putting up points, did you expect the offensive output, certainly what we saw in the second half, at Ohio State from Michigan in that offense this past weekend?
3: I would love to be able to sit here and say, yeah, I called it. But I, I'd be lying to you if I did. I do think what you saw on display was exactly why Jim Harbaugh made the change at quarterback, going from Cade McNamara to J.J. McCarthy because of what he provided in the pass game. We saw him with a pretty close to flawless performance with three touchdown passes, zero interceptions on that big stage. It also, the thing that probably surprised me the most, and this shows you more of the identity that Michigan has, with Blake Corum banged up, it was pretty shocking to see another backstep in there in Donovan Edwards and for him to rush for 200-plus yards against Ohio State's defense. So there were a lot of surprises that no one saw coming. But for Michigan to dominate the game the way that, that they did against the Buckeyes in the shoe – that's probably the biggest surprise of the weekend.
0: What level of sniff does Ohio State have in this as they sit back and watch everything else happen and somebody play in the Big Ten title game and others do what they're doing? What, what are Buckeyes fans hoping for right now?
3: They'll be – I think they'll know their outcome Friday night because that's when the Pac-12 championship, where USC is just a three-point favorite against Utah, a team that they lost to in the regular season in Salt Lake City. I think if you're an Ohio State fan – you get out some Utah youth pom-poms and you root your hearts out hoping that Utah beats USC, which I do think with their second loss and not being a conference champion, would knock USC out of the race. I think they would be out. Ohio State would be in. I think it's pretty clear cut. I still don't know what the committee would do with TCU. So, like, if, if USC took care of their business, then all of a sudden you'd put down your Utes pom-poms and you'd pick up your Kansas State ones, grab some purple ones. I don't feel as confident, though, that TCU, who's undefeated, would suffer their first loss of the season if the committee would keep them out. I still think TCU might have a chance to advance, even though they would have lost to Kansas State. But they already beat them once during the regular season, so it kind of neutralizes that loss somewhat. But I, I don't, I'm i not quite as confident in that one, that if TCU lost at Ohio State would be in. But clearly, they've got a root for chaos as opposed to the favorites winning out this weekend if Ohio State wants another chance.
0: Danny Cannell joins us, SiriusXM, CBS, and more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So you look at Michigan right now, and you go back to, you know, you, you like the points and Purdue and that, but let's just say the complete chaos happens and Purdue pulls an upset. Would that at all jeopardize Michigan being a part no. of that playoff? Anyway. No,
3: I think they're, I think they're a lock. I think
0: Georgia and Michigan have
3: such impressive resumes in, you know, it's interesting because before Michigan played Ohio state, it was like, Oh, you know, they've only had the Penn state win, which was a really impressive win. Their schedule is a little bit light. The non-conference was light, but that, that, that win against Ohio state is really all they needed to showcase that they were able to beat one of those top scenes of the country. I do think if they lost, they'd be Okay. We've seen teams uh, – Notre Dame's a good example. When they played Clemson in the COVID year, when they played for the ACC championship game, they had already beaten Clemson. They lost to them 34-10. to 10. It was kind of an ugly game for Notre Dame. They still advanced despite that. I think that would be the same scenario for Michigan. Kind of, you know, but uh, Clemson was a top-tier team that year. You know, at seven and at five, you know, is it, is it enough – I think it would hurt. I think it'd cause a debate. But ultimately, I think Michigan would still go in.
0: I want to ask you, I'm going to get to some deeper questions regarding quarterbacks in a second. I want to double back, if you wouldn't mind, to Utah and USC. and And regarding Caleb Williams, who certainly has been thrust upon the scene, not just this season, but big time down the stretch here. Is he just an elite and growing type of quarterback talent for that next level, or is he more of a product? And we've seen both with Lincoln Riley in the past. We've seen you know, those that are legit, high level, and we've seen those that have been a product of his offense. What's Caleb Williams to you at the next level?
3: I think he's the total package. I really do. And especially because I think he's done a couple different things. Yes, you should put up monster numbers in Lincoln-Riley's system, and especially playing with the talent that's around you. But what you're seeing on display are the type of throws and the improvisation that really scouts and NFL GMs are looking for out of quarterback. Yes, every quarterback in that system, you, know, you want to complete around 70% of your passes. You want to have probably a closer to a four-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. And you want to you know, be winning games, and he's done all that. But when you watch him play and you see how he takes over games and he makes throws that are contested, like that's the one knock I think is that it's easy to complete some passes because Lincoln Riley gets guys so wide open that all you have to do is just kind of be a point guard and orchestrate and get to the open guy, which is pretty easy. But what you've seen Caleb Williams do is get balls in tight windows. You've seen him take over games. You've seen him make plays off the cuff that really are what NFL teams are looking for when you consider how Patrick Mahomes plays the game how Josh Allen plays the game, uh, you know, just the top-tier quarterbacks, what teams are looking for at the next level. Caleb Williams really is the complete package when you think about what he's put down this year and even last year, too, when he was at Oklahoma.
0: Danny Cannell joins us. Spencer Rattler, and disappointing last season massively. You, you go to South Carolina, has he turned any heads and turned around any thought processes with the type of season, especially down the stretch, he's had in South Carolina?
3: He'll go back for one more year, and then I think he has to put together a complete season in order to get back on track with his projections. What's coming out of high school was, and even after his first year starting at Oklahoma, was, oh, he's going to be a first-round pick. And then there was the setback. Then he transfers. You know, he loses his job to Caleb Williams. Then all of a sudden he goes to, you know, South Carolina. It starts off really bad. I mean, you have to consider going into the Tennessee game, which was the upset of the year in the SEC. They were a three-touchdown favorite. Spencer Rattler only had eight touchdowns on the entire season, and he threw six in one game against the Volunteers. I think he'd be better suited to go back, showcase another year where you are start to finish a great decision maker, you show consistency, and you put together a complete product. Then you'd have a much better chance of getting drafted where you want if you're Spencer Rattler, which is top 10, top 15 pick. But if he decided to make a different decision, I think it would hurt him in the long run. But it's definitely something that he can do. He can change the narrative about him because, you know, I don't know if you saw it, the Netflix documentary, QB1, a little bit of a punk attitude in high school, which we all were in high school as 18-year-old kids, but then didn't do himself any favors when he loses his job at Oklahoma. He could totally change the narrative about him and change the arc of his career if he does go back to South Carolina. That's what I hope he does. We'll have to see what he decides
0: to do. Danny Cannell's with us, the former quarterback. SiriusXM channel eighty four, seven a.m. until ten a.m. That is uh, weekday mornings, right there. CBS Sports as well. Danny on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, obviously the Colts are going to be in the market here locally to draft a quarterback, and I, who knows where they end up getting? How they're going to end up getting them? There's still a lot of steps to happen. You got the combine, and you know who's going to actually be there. But as it looks right now, those quarterbacks that you expect to be going and being drafted here in that first round. Give me a hierarchy of those names and what you think might be a surprise as far as the quarterback is concerned, Mm -hmm. somebody that maybe the Colts should have interest in besides those kind of usual guys we've talked about all season long.
3: Right, because Bryce Young is going to be the number one overall pick. I do think he's embedded himself in that spot. The quarterback at Alabama – Uh, C.J. Stroud, there was some conversation maybe he could steal that number one spot. He's been a little bit bumpy this year. I know statistically he's been fine, but against some of the top-tier competition, I don't think he's played as well. I also don't know if Indy's going to be in the market, if your Colts are going to be in the market at that high of a position to be able to draft those. The Texans look like they're probably going to be the number one overall pick. I think they snatch up Bryce Young. Another team probably gets to C.J. Stroud there. And then you start going to the next level, to the next crop, And it's, again, one of these classes that you look at, and it's like, all right, is it a little bit more bleak? Is it one where you should potentially maybe wait on it? And I know Colts fans don't want to hear that, especially, you know, do you want to try another veteran kind of reclamation project after you've been through three of them? I would say probably not. But if you wanted to tank again for the next year and look for the next potential Andrew Luck, that's where I think Caleb Williams or a Drake May at North Carolina where you have to wait another year, those two quarterbacks, I think, are even better than the quarterbacks available this year in Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. But you'd have to display some extreme patience and have to wait around for another year at those two. So we'll see. I'm more of a fan of taking either the short things or waiting on it. And, you know, maybe potentially taking somebody in the fifth or sixth round, kind of like Sam Ellinger, which, you know, hasn't worked out the way they thought it would. But I, that's more, I'm more of a fan of that until, unless you have a chance at one of these surefire picks. I think there's too much risk if you take a flyer on a guy late in the first round or at the top of the
0: second round. It was ugly against Florida State for Anthony Richardson, certainly. What's his decision going to be, at least if he's made I one? So. I haven't heard it.
3: Yeah, so he, Will Levis, there's some other guys. That's why, I, thank you for reminding me, because there are a couple guys below Stroud and Bryce Young. And Will Levis in Kentucky is somebody who, and this is, I'll tell you what happened, Jeff. They, they were both at the Manning Passing Academy this summer. Anthony Richardson for the Florida Gators and Will Levis for the Kentucky Wildcats. And everybody was raving about them because they had cannons for an arm and their physical specimens. They looked the part. They looked yeah. like the next Josh Allen. The only problem is neither one has shown on film in helmets and shoulder pads against real defenses, any type of film that would justify a top five pick. They're both projects. I think Anthony Richardson, the, the upside is more with him, but he's highly erratic. He's not very consistent throwing the football. The accuracy is an issue. I think he would benefit from going back to Florida for one more year, kind of like we were talking about with Spencer Rattler. Will Levis coming out is an interesting one because he's played behind a bad offensive line. They haven't had much help around him. He does flash, but there have been some you know, inconsistencies with him too. I think both of those quarterbacks are probably going to go somewhere in the back end of the first round where I think you have probably a better floor with Will Levis. I don't think there's much bust potential, but are you going to get the upside that you would with an Anthony Richardson? It's a tough decision based on those two uh, that I would not want to have to make.
0: It's Danny Cannell right there. You catch him on SiriusXM. You get him as well on CBS. He's going to be all over, certainly, this weekend of college football. We're going to find out where everything lands and then move on from there. Hey, we really appreciate it. Have a a fantastic holiday season. And once this stuff all gets set up, we'll get you back on here again and uh, talk it up and see where we're going
3: outstanding cannot wait enjoy the conference championship games and guess what we'll know our answers who's playing for it on sunday can't wait to find out
0: you got it danny cannell right there via the andy moore automotive group hotline whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline right now. Staked out in Sacramento, California. This is game three of the Pacers' seven-game Western Road Swing, the longest in about 30 years or so. Dustin DePurack covers the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. uh, The other night, in that moment, I I explained this yesterday. For those that stayed up, uh, Tyrese Halliburton just made one incredible play to get the ball to Nimhart as he did with all the decision-making us going on in, in all that moment where you had basically a couple of seconds to think about it, just an incredible basketball play. But honestly, I did not want to see miles touch it again with a chance to miss two potential game winners in that final possession. I don't think my Twitter yeah, account, my Twitter account, Dustin would not be able to, to take that.
4: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, obviously he, didn't, he, he he didn't have a great look at that one. I mean, and he, he played a, a pretty good game, but uh, yeah, he yeah, did. That, that, I, I mean, he was a double.
0: He was a double double, but he didn't. He looked like he shot that because he was wide open and not because he had confidence it was going to go confidence
4: down. Confidence in knocking it down. Yeah, I mean, like he 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 can make that shot, but like it's 33% shot. Maybe it's a 35% shot. You want a little bit higher odds there, and obviously got it from Emhart, uh, and, and it's. It was a really smart play. I mean, I, you, you've probably seen this on Twitter. Um, you know, Halliburton really broke down that whole thing. I think Jeremiah Johnson asked the question in the locker room after, like, okay, what are you thinking there? And Halliburton breaks down the entire thing. And he doesn't go, he, he didn't go over the part about why he didn't get the ball to miles.
1: Um,
4: but, he, but he saw them hard, and he saw Buddy in the corner, and knew there was going to be a contest. Uh, thought that was going to be an issue. And he managed to turn somehow without causing a travel, and they even reviewed that um, to see if he... Uh, if his reverse pivot that he uh, that he mentioned was was a travel and it was close, uh, but he gets out of that. It's a really smart play. It it and it's you know obviously dusty shard on that shot on Nem Hart's part, uh, and uh, with LeBron James coming right at him, um, but he drove that one. It was you know just a terrific night for for Nem Hart, but just more really smart basketball from from Halliburton. I mean, just what he's done lately is crazy. Forty assists, zero, zero turnovers the last three games is just an, an insane stat.
0: Uh, on that reverse pivot that you're talking about, Dustin, too, he threw that dime right in the shooting pocket of Nembhard with his left hand, <laughs> yes. and yes. and then when that he explained to when he explained to JJ what all was going through his mind, you know, Buddy Heald was over mm-hmm. there. That's who you want to get the ball to, right there. But you know, you right. had the taller guy that was closer to closing out, and Anthony Davis, and then seeing at that moment mm-hmm. LeBron still kind of peel back into the lane a little bit and and finding Nembhard. I, I just thought again, as good as Nembhard's game winner was, and it certainly was. That play to get the ball there was spectacular too.
4: Yeah, no, it's it's arguably better. Yeah, I mean, but just, I mean Halliburton is just really driving the train for the team so much right now. Um, just, just everything he's just done has, has been spectacular. He's just raised the level of these guys so much. Uh, he, he makes them a more fun team to play around. But that particular play, yeah, it's special. I mean, when you're in that position, clock's running, you're trying to process everything at once. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I think some people have asked, like, is it possible that Tyrese really had all of those thoughts or he think he rewatched it on tape to, you know, re-cons- reconsider and kind of construct the narrative? And it's totally possible he did. But even if he got, like, I, I don't know, 75% of the way there, he makes the decision. Like he he made, you know, he he made the call like to go there. And, you know, obviously he had to process a lot of that in in just basically no time. Um, And that's amazing, just how fast that kid's mind moves, how how well he understands the game. I mean, he's really, just basketball IQ is off the charts with that. It's such a smart play. And and, and yet, like you said, well-executed play. Like it's something to think all that and then make a gorgeous pass. Uh, you know, with your offhand, it's it's unbelievable. It's true, truly amazing what this kid's been doing.
0: Dustin Depierre covers the Pacers for the Indy Stars on the Andy a Automotive Group Potline. That is a 9:30 pregame, 10 p.m. tip tonight from Sacramento. Game three of that Western road swing. That seven gamer is in Sacramento. All right, a massive deal at the trade deadline last year. That, assuming to this point, even with the three consecutive losses for the Kings, has worked out on both sides. And I did hear Sabonis asked the question about playing against miles and people want to describe it as him downplaying it but really he was just being domus sabonis and just giving you a short answer he's always downplaying that because he downplays nearly <laughs> yeah. everything with the answer is, is there any real juice going on tonight with that deal that happened last february
4: i mean there's juice we, we got to talk to all of them today so basically i mean it was it was a uh, particularly big media showing a shoot around and we just got out of there because um, we did Kings and then Pacers, and a whole lot of people were at both. So you, you usually don't see that. Um, but you know, sort of everybody, you know, all three of them had their gaggle, well, you know, Domas and, and Tyrese and Buddy, and everybody was obviously working really hard um, to not say anything that was going to be controversial. So all three of them did. You get the, got the sense that Tyrese was itching the most and had to keep his mouth shut the most out of all of them. But he was like, man, I've been traded before. Like This is nothing. You know, like, it, It's not the first time. Um, and so it is what it is. Why would you get upset about that? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I I think there's going to be some desire on the part of of these guys to kind of show, you know, what, what was lost. But I mean, I think they also were smart basketball guys and they know everybody's better for this, you know? I mean, everybody really is like, I mean, in particular, you look at, you know, Sabonis is better off and, 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 you know, Sabonis said, I guess he hung out with miles yesterday, you know, among other guys that like they've talked about, they, they you know, they're still close and I'm sure, you know, I, I have no idea what Tyrese's relationship with De'Aaron with Fox is, but ultimately like they, they're better because the other guy's not there because they get to be who they are without, you know, being redundant. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest issue. I mean, like Tyrese had to go somewhere where he was the major playmaker and now he is and he's leading the N- NBA in assists. And, and, you know, you just couldn't have <laughs> Domus and Miles together. Either, both of them can, can, uh, you know, produce separately and, and succeed separately. Uh, together it's hard to make it work so basically you know one team needed a big one team needed a play guard and that's what they got and it, and you know i mean and, and the pacers got a, a sharp shooting outside guy and buddy buddy healed on top of that uh you know again it, it's clearly worked out for better for everybody i mean like i'm sure it's tough uh you know as actual humans when you're used to, you get drafted someplace and you think that's where you're going to be you know and, it, and it's hard to walk away when you've. You know, come and come someplace and made friends. And you know, Tyrese was talking about. I guess him and his girlfriend went to go see one of their friends who's pregnant to be you know have their baby any day any day now. And it's like I'm sure you when you lose those things, it's tough. Um, but from a pure basketball perspective, it's just clear that this got everybody's life is better because of that deal. All right,
0: Dustin, what makes a good, a swell seven game Western road swing for the Pacers when it's over?
4: Four, I mean, four and three would be great four and three would be great. And, and I mean, beating the Lakers was such a good start. Um, you know, like you, you don't expect to run the table here, but, um, you know, and, and they're going to get some tough ones, you know, teams that have been winning, um, you know, obviously Sacramento, they, they've lost three in a row, but two of those are to Boston and Phoenix. And that's yeah. right now one in the East and one in the West. Um, so, you know, like the Kings are going to be a, a tough out, you know, and, and they're going to be annoyed because they lost three in a row, but again, they lost, you know, two to the best, two of the best teams in the NBA. Um, you know, obviously, I think Utah has been performing a little bit above their station, also. Uh, you know, Portland has. Um, I think they lost last night, but, you know, again, they shouldn't have lost because they had a lead, but still, um, you know, these are all tough games. If, if they come out of it with a winning record, um, you know, that that's great. I, I think that's terrific. I think you take that. Shoot, you live, I think you live with three and four. You know, if you just get a couple and I, out of
0: it. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I had some people tell me that if they got a couple out of that trip, and, and that doesn't, mm-hmm. to me, seem like anything good if you lose five out there. But, I, I mean, I, I just think people were really trying to downplay because this was going to be so tough. And I, I, I do think that that does outline the importance of, of getting that win, being presented with the opportunity and the uh, Pacer team mm-hmm. on Monday night. In LA, took it. Unlike that, they did. They looked like they just got off the plane and played the Clippers on Sunday right. afternoon. That was that might have been the worst effort, or one of the worst, certainly I've seen all year by them. But man, that made up for it against the Lakers, certainly. And now you you, you start thinking about it a little bit. All right, can you piece this together and that together to make this mm-hmm. seven game Western road swing a lot better than I think what a lot of Pacer fans thought it was going to be?
4: Man, I mean, I think you know. Obviously, you haven't seen these guys against the best of the best yet. Um, you know, you haven't seen them against your Milwaukee's, your Boston's, and, and to have a sense of, okay, teams that are really going to be in at the, in the, in the end, what are they going to be like uh, against those teams? But, you, you know, everybody from middle of the pack down or, or even, you know, sort of, sort of the upper echelon in the middle of the pack, these guys can compete with. I mean, they went down to the wire with Denver. Um, you know, Minnesota obviously boat raced them, um, but they're generally competitive most nights against whoever they're going to play against. Um, and so, you know, nobody on this trip is totally unbeatable. Uh, I don't think um, for these guys. So like, every given night is possible. Now, I mean, there's are some areas where they have, um, you know, not great matchups when they when they face more physical teams and when they're not shooting the ball themselves. Um, they're certainly beatable. And obviously, you know, that's what happened against the Clippers. Is like they've got to be able to shoot lights out against a team like that because the Clippers just play you physical and Zubak really, really played them physical. Um, but you know, there's there's nobody on this this trip that they can't beat. You know, there, there's nobody on this trip that you look at and say, well, that's a stone-cold loss, especially because the Timberwolves are after boat racing them at home. Uh, you know, Carl Anthony Counts is out forty six least with a cash strain, So that game becomes, I think, a lot more winnable. Certainly not a sure thing, um, but it's conceivable they can, they can pull that game off. I mean, like, you know going in on a trip like this, just this, all the road weariness is going to take it out of you. And, you know, like, you're, you're probably not winning as many games when you're on the road as you would in a neutral court. Uh, neutral court's playing the same teams, but I, I just don't think that there's – uh, there are not unwinnable games on here. They're, they're not going to win them all. Uh, but I think if they if they get a winning record out of it, that's a big deal. And I think I think they can do it. I think the way they're playing, they're certainly capable of pulling that off.
0: We, we could see any more of of James Johnson. We've seen him in, in spot moments, um, certainly when yeah. they've been down. But you know, might that become a little bit more of a regular part of a rotation, or was it just kind of the circumstances of the games in which we've seen him?
4: I think some of its circumstance, I mean, like, I, I don't know that he's going to be regular. I mean, I think that they've established who their top bench guys are. And I think they obviously like uh, what they get all around from O'Shea Brissett and, uh, and obviously Isaiah Jackson, more, yeah. you know, coming off as, as front court guys. Um, you know, obviously O'Shea has been shooting the ball really well up until uh, last night. I don't think he hit any, but he's been making shots. Uh, and Jackson's just clearly their best front court guy. Um, but, you know, when they need some edge, you know, and, and he really brought it against Brooklyn uh, in that comeback win that they had there. Um, so, like, he, he is a guy that, that, that really pushes these guys. I mean, he's such a – all they talk about is how good of a clubhouse presence he is. Um, you know, it's a really young team, and obviously he's a veteran. He's been around. He's been on so many teams. Everybody likes him. I mean, like, everybody just really likes what he brings. Um, and so, you know, he brings a little bit of edge. I mean, he, he can hit a shot from time to time, but it's just – uh, you know, and he, and he does a lot of smart things, handles the ball well, is, is going to defend somebody hard. I mean, I don't know if he's a great defender, but he's going to get after somebody. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like there's just a little bit of a push that they get uh, when he's out there. And it's just it, obviously it's time and circumstance. You know, he, he's not going to be the guy that's playing 15 a game. He's not going to be the guy that's ever playing 20 a game. But, you know, there are going to be times where I think Rick's going to look to get five out of him. And, and And it can be a, a difference making five or six minutes for sure.
0: All right, why was 50 Cent at King's shoot-around today? Do you have an answer for me?
4: I I don't have an answer, but he was there, and it was wild. It took me a minute to figure out, what, is that who I think it is? Yep, it's 50 Cent. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just because he knows Mike Brown. Uh, I, mike, Mike's mike been everywhere. And yeah. He's been on all kinds of, like, uh, you know, prominent teams that had superstars and had guys around, so I'm sure Mike's gotten connected to people, and one of the people he got connected to was 50 Cent, and he said, hey, you're going to be." I don't know. For whatever reason, he was in Sacramento for Kings Pacers.
0: Mike Brown is one of the nicest reason. one of the nicest humans you will ever meet.
4: So I've heard. So I've heard. Yeah, he, he is. likes me as such, and and yeah, like I, I, and somebody else was saying that when when uh, when he was out there, we we're looking at Fifty Cent, we we're like, well, you know it's really because everybody likes Mike Brown, of course he's here. Like, right. of course Fifty Cent likes Mike Brown, so he can get Fifty Cent, no problem. So. All right. Somebody's was, was going to take a jump shot to see if his uh, his, his jumper is the same as his throwing. Up. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, his throwing motion didn't go over very well. That's no, a meme, no. meme no. forever. Yeah, yes, that is exactly so. for sure. All right, buddy. Uh, enjoy your time out there uh, and enjoy well, the good. beat. Congratulations on the beat. I don't think Thank we you. talked since you got that beat, but congratulations on it. First time.
4: Thank you so much. It's been enjoyable. It's been a, it's been a fun team to cover. Even though we're jumping on a midstream, it's been a, been a cool team to be around for
0: sure. All right, Dustin. We'll follow you, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Uh, Dustin Purek, right there, the star, covers the Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, The former Big Ten Conference Player of the Year, the sweet shooting lefty from Terre Haute South High School, and upcoming going into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. And he's also known for helping me sleep a hell of a lot better when sleeping is available to me with the Aurora Specialty Sleep Clinic. The sweet shooter's with us right now. It's Brian Evans again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. B. Evans, how you doing?
1: Good, John. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
0: You going down to the game tonight?
1: No, thank you. I'm gonna watch from the my swivel chair right in front of the TV.
0: Got a lot going on in front of the TV. I mean, you got a lot of games going on too, so you can take care of everything tonight right where you are. Correct?
1: That's right. That's right. Get to bed right after the game. Maybe even watch the second half of the second half in bed. We'll see.
0: Yeah. What do you think about what you've seen so far? And again, early stages of the season. But what you've seen from this Mike Woodson-led IU squad thus far?
1: Well, I like, we're one of the few teams that has returning talent, you know, that has veteran talent, which is, which, you know, gives us a a leg up on a lot of teams or so many teams that it seems like they're reloading every year. So to have some veteran guys, veteran presence in the locker room was a big deal. We got three or four of those guys and and then you throw in some blue chip, you know, five-star talent. And I don't know, I'm excited about the season. I'm excited about the roster and, um, tonight will be a good indication of, of where we're headed.
0: What um, what stands out to you so far, uh, especially in terms of the newcomers? What stood out to you as well? Wow, this has the possibility of evolving into something special this year.
1: I would like to see uh, Malik renew, um, get more minutes. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him uh, start the game and, and play twenty-five to thirty-five minutes. I'd like to see race. Um, Kind of slide back into that ancillary, you know, off the bench. See if he can give a spark, kind of role. I don't see. I don't see Mike Woodson doing that. He's, you know, with with the NBA background, it's it's all about uh, veterans, you know. And so I yeah. think he's gonna he's gonna stick with his lineup, unfortunately. But I would really like to see the young kid in there. He's impressed me a lot. He's got a nose for the ball, and he just he he, he knows how to play the game. Those guys coming from that Montverde Academy. They're ahead, man. Those guys are both ahead. I like Hood Shafino. I, I know he hasn't shot it real well so far, but he has got such a, a good uh, composure and just moxie on the court. I really like watching him play. If he's, if he's 6'5", he's a pro. I mean, they're saying he is 6'5". He's just got you know control of his body. He can get where he wants to on the court. I, I mean, those two guys, I, I, I don't – I don't have a strong opinion on anybody else yet. I don't think I've seen them enough, but those two guys, are they're legit.
0: So, Brian Evans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Renew, uh, I want you to kind of talk a little bit more about it because the thing that I've noticed about him is he he gives you – you mentioned the the veterans that Mike Woodson and those NBA type of guys certainly like, and and that is true. But he he gives you a a veteran-looking body and and a game because of where he is and where he has been in his basketball career. You don't often see that with freshmen coming in.
1: No, I mean, the body, I don't know how you build it. I You know – I never had it and he he's walking in the door with it. it. hes he's impressive, but those guys they have they they just have a calm to them. They've been in big games, you know. They they weren't playing a high school schedule. They weren't playing South for a million and Shackamac like I was.
0: He's right? easy, easy. Um,
1: easy. No, he is. But they were playing
0: Shackamack wasn't playing on your schedule. Was Shackamack on Terre Haute South schedule back in the day?
1: I'm not sure. <laughs> i like saying Shackamac
0: though i'm glad you did man that's a little gc that's across the river gc love though everything's different across the river down there uh but now nah, I, I would agree with you on that too both those guys have played a a different level of talent to get them here and you like the mix between the veterans and those young guys that mike woodson has right now and, and then how do you end up how do you end up with playing time because you talk about renew you want to see him get more minutes and you know obviously that's going to come and affect probably a veteran like race thompson and his his minutes and is there a way you think to to kind of pass around the minutes to make everybody happy or in this day and age of of college basketball i guess other than purdue is that impossible to do
1: no i think he can i mean I, i don't think he's gonna change his starting lineup and i wish he would or give consider at least be open to it this guy needs minutes man he You want to get him ready and polished, you know, for the Big Ten season. So in a game like tonight, uh, I would love to see him get big minutes because big minutes against the Carolina team could give him a lot of confidence. You know, you're going to be banging against bigger bodies, more Big Ten bodies, you know. Um, I'd like to see him get a lot of minutes tonight. I I think that the leadership, the veteran leadership isn't, isn't, I don't want to say strong, I don't mean it's not good. I just don't think it's, I think Trace and Race are really nice guys. And so I, that's actually a good thing when you've got this young talent. Those guys aren't intimidated. The older guys are not holding the younger guys back. Uh, they're letting them be a part of things, which I, I think is, is good chemistry for the team. I, at least that's what I'm seeing so far. I think it's a positive. Those guys are not scared. Like you said, they've played in you know college-level talent is who they were playing all last year. And they just, they just have a polish to them. that I don't think I've seen young guys come in like that at all. I, I didn't feel that way about Romeo. I, I, these two guys are really impressive to me.
0: So Brian Evans with us, the sweet shooting lefty via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. you got Carolina and IU coming up later on tonight. Of course, uh, Carolina with that majestic run to the NCAA tournament final, obviously a year ago, and and they bring a lot of veteran presence as well, but they're also coming off and knock it around in Portland in that tournament out there as well. Maybe kind of takes a little bit of the shine, if you will, the luster off of this matchup because of those two losses that they've had so Far. still a great matchup don't get me wrong but a little bit different than maybe what first you thought when you saw that on the schedule
1: well it's going to be a hostile environment tonight regardless i don't think it's going to change it much you know an assembly hall is going to be rocking tonight it's going to be a tough place for them to win i was actually bummed as i was watching carolina lose out there because i think if they win those games and come in with you know uh maybe the ego is fully intact right Maybe they play a little bit um, a little softer in Assembly Hall. Now, now I feel like they're going to come with an edge, with something to prove. Um, So I was rooting for them, to be honest with you. So they'd come in fat-headed.
0: Yeah, and and I think a lot of other people would agree with you on that, too. And, you know, again, you're talking about the environment, and the environment's going to juice the IU kids. But as a a competitor, especially the level of competitor with some of the veterans they have still on that Carolina team, that's going to juice them as well because you you want to play the role of a villain in, you know, what is going to be a hostile environment you're going to see later on tonight at Bloomington.
1: You know, the, the Final Four stage is huge. And they've been there, right? And yeah. they didn't just – it won for a cup of coffee. They, they were in the second. They had a big lead. They played on a big stage. They're not going to blink tonight. And and they played in Cameron. I mean, there's, there's nothing quite like that. So this is – you know, it's a veteran team. They're not going to be scared. And I, I'm with you. I think they're going to be up for the game. It should be a good one.
0: You like the way Mike Woodson's been handling this group to this point I mean other than obviously wanting to see more from from the younger guys, but you like the way things have been handled to this point?
1: you know i i I don't spend a ton of time watching him on the side i i I've really just p- try to pay close attention to these young guys. I already I already know the old guys I'm, you know I was hoping we'd see a little more um shot making and taking from trace from the perimeter that we still have not seen. It's, but it's, I have to say this though. It's hard to argue when he gets where he wants to go, yeah. and he shoots an incredibly high percentage right around the rim. Why, you know, why are we? Why do I want? I've asked myself, why do I want to see this guy take jump shots? And I don't know the answer to that.
0: Yeah, I, and and I, I think that if you were to ask some folks, that it is because of what you just said. Because to this point, he still easily gets to where he wants to go, and he can still easily get to his dominant left hand and and score and I I think that that's also within the coaching staff and Mike Woodson as well I think maybe in the offseason you go hey look at this guy he's draining jump shots and he's facing up Uh, and now you get to it and you're thinking all right I just want you to go where you can score the most and where we can count on you the most and I think those types of that dialogue changes a little bit from the offseason to once you get into it as they are right now
1: for sure and I I think part of it is I, I want him to be a pro you know I'm rooting for the kid and you know we we all wanted him have a huge summer that he added to his game, and so you know I guess from that standpoint I want to see him bring it to the court. You know I, I was I was reading about it, you know how many jumpers he's taken and all that kind of stuff. So I was anxious to see it, and, and I want him to be a pro. I want him to you know add to his game over the summer so he can have a long career and make IU look good. Um, he, he's he's reluctant to shoot. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I you you want it. To be within the flow, you don't want it to be just because you feel that he needs to prove it. And if you're if you're being dominant where you are, then to be dominant where you are, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, no. He like I said, he's he's shooting a really high percentage, and he's right at you know point blank range. If he can get to point blank range against, and, and that was always the, the tough part for him is getting in the heart of the Big Ten season and playing against big, you know, more length. That's where he struggled through the years. So. You know, it'll be interesting tonight because these are big bodies. You know, these are athletic, long guys. Uh, Can can he have that kind of game where he gets point blank tonight?
0: So, Brian Evans, the former Hoosier, going into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. I want to talk about that with you in just a second. But you mentioned the other Big Ten teams. And have you watched very much of Purdue and certainly what they did in Portland, which was kind of counter- to what Carolina did out there. Purdue gets, you know, win versus West Virginia. They doubled down against Gonzaga big time and then do it even bigger, certainly against Duke in that championship game. What do you make of the Boilermakers thus far?
1: I, totally impressed. I mean, I couldn't stay up for the Gonzaga game, and I got to admit, I was, you know, the, the score, I did a double take. I mean, they they whipped them pretty good. Now, that's, they're another example of they lost a lot. They have the, you know, the veteran big guy, Timmy, but, I, you know, they're reloading in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. But Purdue went out there and handled them. I, I watched the entire Duke game and was totally impressed. You know, Duke's, Duke's young, super young. They're always going to be really young, and they've got some injuries. But, man, uh, Matt's guys just put it to them. I mean, they, I think with them is the the backcourt, the young backcourt, <laughs> doesn't play like a young backcourt, and they've got veteran big guys. So, they, in a lot of ways, they remind me of kind of what we've got going on. Uh, but they were really impressive, and, I think the one thing that stands out to me more than Indiana is um they got guys that can knock down shots. you know that's the one thing I still worry about with us is there's just not a lot of guys that you know you get them open and can you just can you just count it you know beforehand like hey they oh they they messed up and left them open. Uh, we don't have those guys right now, and that that that's what I worry about with our ability to go deep is gotta make jump shots and and Purdue has a few guys, that kid from Fort Wayne, the lawyer. I'm really impressed with him. I I really like him a lot.
0: No, it's interesting too. I've had a lot of people ask me, and I'll ask you this because you've been a part of it before. A lot of people have asked me if I felt that Matt Painter and what he's built at Purdue is reminiscent of what. IU and Bob Knight used to build with a lot of in-state kids and, you know, a depth on the team. You were a part of this certainly back in the 90s. Is the way that this Boilermaker team right now is fashion, is constructed, yep. reminiscent yep. of the way that your team and teams before you were put together in Bloomington?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I see some of that for sure. I, li- I mean, I do like it's an Indiana roster. Um, that means something. You know, I, guys like you and I that are from here, I, I like seeing that. Uh, I wish we we were seeing more of that on the the roster in Bloomington, but Matt, I think is doing a great job of of putting pieces together and not being a, that outside influence of trying to take the all five star guys. I don't like that model, and I hope that's not what we're doing in Bloomington. I really do. I I'm not in those those rooms. I'm not part of any of that, so I don't know. But it, it appears as if maybe we're doing a little bit of that, like you know, shopping for those those five star guys. Where I think what Matt's doing is looking for pieces, and he's quick to, in a recent interview, he talked about Zach Eadie being a you know the 420 something uh, best recruit, and he's throwing that out the window and said, look, I'm I'm looking for Purdue guys. He referenced uh, Chris Kramer and some of the guys through the years that have, you know, just been uh, puzzle piece guys, you know, but they they came and they they played the way he wanted them to play and they played a role, and were uh, you know a star in that role. I I love it. And um, I, I hope that's what we're trying to accomplish in Bloomington.
0: I, I'm i curious, too, because I brought this up a little bit earlier, and you could have issues anywhere, you know, whether it's Bloomington or anywhere that has kids that believe they should be getting more clocked than what they ultimately get. And then you have NIL that also plays a significant role. Is is it possible? Certainly, in, in Purdue stands out more because they do go so deep with minutes for so many players is it possible to keep everybody happy? I guess winning essentially does that for you. But in this day and age of of what is the modern day player right now, collegiately speaking, is it possible to keep everybody happy?
1: Well, I I don't know how you keep everybody. There's always going to be guys. I think you got to have guys that are happy to be there. You know, happy to be on that bench at all. And then you know the guys that are you, know, you can call it six through ten. Maybe that's a little bit trickier. And I don't know the answer to that question. That's that times have changed. The landscape has changed so much that um, I'm sure the grass is always a little bit greener. You know, every player's got a fan base. You know, your mom and your dad and your grandma and your uncle Dave, everybody that wants you to to play 35 minutes a game and be a superstar because you were in high school. That's not possible. We know that's not possible. I think Matt. I think Matt Painter does a really good job of getting buy-in and saying this is how we're going to play. I don't see a lot of guys transferring from there. Um, I, I think his one through ten, you've got guys that are, are overachieving. Keep that in mind, that are you know two- and three-star guys out of high school that are playing as freshmen. Uh, you're pretty happy, right? So if you go and get all those five stars, I think it's way harder to keep them happy. But if you, if you go shopping for those puzzle pieces like Matt has done, I think you got a way better chance of keeping them happy.
0: So, Brian Evans with us. I mentioned also a little bit earlier that you have been selected to be inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. Feeling pretty good about that? That's quite an honor right there. Congratulations.
1: Well, oh, thank you. You know, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's a neat honor and, you know, one that uh, you feel pretty humble. And in my case, you know, I, you think about who I, I played for, i in order to get me in the Hall of Fame, I had to have a Hall of Fame high school coach, Pat Rady. I had to have a Hall of Fame basketball coach and Bob Knight, Chuck Daly, and John Calipari. I mean, look, listen to all the guys that, that had to play a part in order to get me in there. There's a <laughs> lot of a lot of great coaches.
0: Who was your coach at Honey Creek Junior High?
1: Honey Creek Junior High. Um, Bob Warren was with my coach in seventh and eighth grade. And then a, a gentleman named Mark Miller as a ninth grader we were seven eight nine at at junior high back then and 10 through 12 at south
0: how far behind were you of rowdy williams back in the day in that group
1: rowdy was a senior my sophomore year so i I started getting a little bit of a little bit of time actually just talked to coach rady yesterday he called me which was awfully nice of him um rowdy was a senior with tony mcgee and a, a pretty good group of guys steve richardson and those guys made it so as a sophomore I was playing a couple quarters JV and a couple quarters varsity and I felt pretty lucky to be doing that.
0: Man, there was a lot of talent on that team. I think Roddy's a uh, lawyer in Terre Haute now, right?
1: Yes, that's right. That's right.
0: I think I see his uh, billboards when I go over there everywhere. Well, congratulations on that and uh, before I let you go too, because everybody also knows you for helping me sleep better and getting rid of my snoring, how's the Aurora Specialty Sleep Clinic going?
1: Everything's going great. We had a great month, and we're seeing more people all the time. And you're you're uh, a big part of that. We've a lot of people coming in saying they hear about us from uh, your show, which we appreciate you for that very much. And we expect it just to keep getting better from here.
0: Well, and we also want to tell everybody out there that the technology continues to grow and get better. It seems like almost daily now you're coming up with new technology, better innovations to help get rid of that snoring, man, because that snoring thing can be pesky. Don't get me wrong.
1: In fact, I got to get you. I don't know if I told you this last time we talked. I need you to come back up because I do have a new design that I want you to try out. So. Uh, we do. We do have a lot of different designs, and you know what's comfortable to somebody may not be as comfortable to somebody else. So we've got several you know designs to choose from of these mouthpieces, and. I definitely have one I want you to come up and get. You got it.
0: Just uh, name a time and uh, be there, and I'll be there as well. Congratulations on the honor to go into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. And, and enjoy IU and Carolina and all the other action from your living room I will. later on I tonight. Will.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for all the nice things you said. And I will do that tonight. It's going to be a great uh, night of basketball. I'm excited. You got it. And I will catch you, right? I'll catch you
0: here relatively soon, right?
1: Sounds good. Sounds good, pal. Thanks. Have a good hey, night. You
0: got it. It's, uh, Brian Evans right there.